Radio's book. I'm your host, Will, and I'll do this radio show for Hulk Radio on Anchor.fm or HCC. Now, if you guys are new to this radio show, or if you guys are returning members to this radio show, if you guys have no idea what my show, The Hour's Book, is all about, let me give you a little rundown about what my show, The Hour's Book, is all about. So, my radio show, The Hour's Book, is basically all about different types of book media and stuff like that, meaning book to movie adaptations, book to TV show adaptations, author drama, and so much more. So if you guys are new here, or if you guys are returning members from last week's episode, and you guys like what you hear for this week's episode, stay tuned for the rest of this episode and for future episodes coming soon, because we have a lot of fun here, and and yeah, it's just a lot of fun to talk about book media and book to movie adaptations and stuff like that. So yet again, if you guys like what you hear for this week's episode, stay tuned for the upcoming episodes which are coming in the next few weeks i have a few more episodes planned and it's going to be a lot of fun so in this week's seventh episode we're at seven episodes already which is insane to think about we are going to be talking about our first topic today and that is the casting for the live action powerpuff girls live action superhero drama show which is going to be premiering on the CW sometime in a to-be-announced release date. It has not been officially announced when the show will be premiering, but the CW has ordered a pilot episode, which basically means, if you guys don't know what a pilot episode means, it means when they order a first episode of a show to see if it will be sold to the television program and if it isn't and if it isn't sold to the television program then then it is then then it is dropped and it does not move forward into production for a series but if you guys haven't heard about the live action powerpuff girls reboot show whatever you want to call it it is going to be a live action version of the 1990s cartoon animated series from Cartoon Network, The Powerpuff Girls. The CW showrunner Greg Berlanti, who is involved with the Arrowverse shows like the like um La Like Arrow and The Flash and Superman and Lois and Supergirl, he is going to be the showrunner for this show, and the pilot is going to be written by Academy Award winning um best adapted screenplay and best original um um screenplay writer diablo cody who wrote the academy award winning film juno she's going to be writing the script and she's also going to be an executive producer for the live action show so the live action powerpuff girl show is going to be very interesting It was announced in the Deadline article today that the show is going to take place in modern times, but the Powerpuff Girls aren't actually going to be girls per se. They are going to be in their 20s, is going to be the age range that they are in. They are going to be in their 20s. They are going to have really, really well, well, um, they're going to have really, really well high-end jobs, and they're going to be in their adult lives. And it's basically going to take place after they've been the Powerpuff Girls when they were little, and they are going to be basically disillusioned with them not being famous anymore. So it's going to be them trying to transition into their adulthood lives with their careers and everything, with being 20-year-olds, and... They are going to be called back into action to become the Powerpuff Girls once again because Chaos and Evil will be, because basically Chaos and Evil will be running around again and it will have been years since they have been the Powerpuff Girls. So they have to basically go back to their superhero identities from when they were very young but now they're going to be in their 20s so if you guys haven't heard about the casting news the cw ordered the pilot about two or three weeks ago and they had just announced the casting today so blossom who is the leader of the group she is going to be played by chloe bennett 
who is known for the Marvel ABC Family Show, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Bubbles is going to be played by Dove Cameron. Dove Cameron is known for the Disney Channel show Love and Maddie, and the Disney Channel original movies, The Descendants Trilogy, The Descendants, Descendants 2, and Descendants 3, and Buttercup is going to be played by Yana Para... Parayolt. Yana Parayolt. And, um, she is known to be a singer. She is not an actress. She is known to be a singer. So, personally, when they announced this casting today, um, I thought that they were going to cast unknown actresses, but... I think that with this CW show, they're trying to cast actresses that we all know of. I have never heard of Yana Para Yolt before, but I have heard of Chloe Bennett and Dove Cameron. So I think they're trying to get star power for the show so that people will actually watch and tune into the show if it does get picked up by the CW, which it probably will be picked up because it's the Powerpuff Girls. Greg Berlanti, who's behind the Arrowverse shows, is the showrunner, and it's and it stars very famous actresses, um, Dove Cameron and Chloe Bennett. So it probably will be picked up for a full 13 episode season. So that'll be cool. I think it's just gonna be interesting how they didn't kind of make it like Riverdale and they didn't make them like like be in high school or something. I think it's gonna be interesting how they're gonna be in their 20s and they're gonna have careers already and they're kind of like disillusioned with them being out of the spotlight but then they're going to be thrown back into the spotlight as a powerpuff girls and i think it's going to be really interesting and i will probably watch it it's probably going to be a lot of fun but i i do have some concerns about this show um it's going to be distributed by the cw so the CW, I don't know if you guys know this, but they're responsible for the Arrowverse shows, and they're responsible for Riverdale, which is a show based on the Archie Comics characters, if you guys didn't know that. And the CW has this thing where they try to make like their shows like very targeted toward the teen demographic. So I feel like even though they're gonna make it like very modern and they're going to make the Powerpuff Girls show, and they're gonna have it be all modern, and they're gonna have them be in their 20s, and have like full-blown careers and everything, and not have them be in high school, it's still gonna be on the CW. So they could have some cheesy lines, the script might not be like the greatest thing ever, but I think it'll be a lot of fun. The casting sounds really good. I think that Dove Cameron and Chloe Bennett and Yana Para Yolta could definitely bring a new fresh perspective to the Powerpuff Girls. I think that's cool. Um, the visual effects, um, I don't know how they'll look. I don't know how the visual effects will look, but ex but, but but it's exciting to imagine what they'll look like. But my biggest concern is the costumes. How are the costumes for the show going to look like? Are they going to look cheesy? Are they going to look really bad? Are they going to look accurate to the Cartoon Network cartoon adaptation from the 90s? Or are they going to look completely different? Or are they going to look like really childish on 20 to 25 year old actresses? They could make the outfits look good, but they could also make them look really bad. Like, I don't know, I hope that they're good, but I hope they're more, I don't know, I guess you could say modern and not like the Cartoon Network adaptation. <laughs> I hope that they are modern, but they're not childish with how they look on the actresses. I hope that they look good. And yeah, those are my thoughts on the Powerpuff Girls CW adaptation that is in the works. So when we come back from this little break, we're going to be talking about the Divergent film franchise and why it failed. 
So we'll be back in a minute and enjoy this break, guys. Welcome back to The Hour is Booked. I'm your host, Will, and I do this radio show for Hawk Radio on Anchor.fm for HCC. Now, if you guys are new here or if you guys are returning members to this radio show, but you guys have no idea what my radio show, The Hour is Booked, is all about, let me give you guys a little rundown about what my show, The Hour is Booked, is all about. Now, my show, The Hour is Booked, is all about book media, basically. Book to movie adaptations, book to TV show adaptations, author drama, and so much more. So if you guys like what you hear on this week's episode, stay tuned for the coming soon, upcoming episodes for the following weeks. We have a lot of fun on the show, and yeah, it's just a lot of fun to talk about book to movie and book to TV show adaptations and and other and other forms of book media and stuff like that. So if you guys like this week's episode, stay tuned for the coming soon, upcoming weeks and stay tuned for those episodes and yeah so for our next segment today we're going to be talking about the divergent film franchise and why it failed tremendously so um if you guys don't know what the divergent trilogy is about by veronica roth it's basically a science fiction dystopian series where you can be divided into one of five factions. You can be divided into abnegation, which is basically for selfless people. You can be divided into candor, which is for people to tell the truth and be honest. You can be divided into the erudite faction, which is basically for the smart people. You can be divided into the the amity faction, which is basically the nice and kind people, or you can be divided into the dawnless faction, which is for the brave people who do daring things that could kill you, basically. And basically, if you're divergent in this world, you take this test when you're 16, and you are basically, um, you basically take a fear test in, like, a simulation. Um, within these simulations, you're basically, um, forced to do violent acts, basically. And when you're put under with this serum in this sim, the people who work on you, they are basically monitoring to see what faction you would belong in because this all leads up to this choosing ceremony. This choosing ceremony basically allows every teenager who is 16 years old at least to choose if they want to stay in their if they want to stay in the faction that they were born in or if they want to switch factions and be in a different faction and leave their family basically. So our main character Tris Pryor basically is doing a simulation test and the doctor who is monitoring her um basically tells her that she is divergent that she does not in that that she does not in that that she does not fit into one faction she fits into multiple factions which is deadly in her case because if you are found out as divergent the government will kill you the evil government in this world so yeah that's basically a rundown of divergent and the divergent trilogy just continues tris Pryor's journey into being divergent and yeah that's basically it we're going to talk about the movies now so the divergent films um i will say the first one is so good the first one the first divergent film which is directed by neil berger starring shane lee woodley and theo james um the first one's very good the other two um are really not so good um this was at the point divergent if you guys didn't know that this was at the point when dystopian 
franchises were kind of dead at this point when Divergent first came out and the years after the other two films came out. So, Divergent, which was distributed by the company Lionsgate, which did the very successful other dystopian franchise, The Hunger Games. Now, those films succeeded. The Divergent films, not so much. Um, Divergent came out, the, the, the film Divergent, the Divergent, the film came out in 2014. Um, and box office wise, it grossed about $280 million at the worldwide box office. But, but with the other two films, um, the second film, Insurgent, grossed about $290 million worldwide at the box office. And then the third film, Allegiant, grossed $176 million worldwide at the box office. Now what happened to that third Allegiant film? Why didn't it gross anywhere near its budget, which was like $250 million. It had a budget of $250 million. It didn't gross anywhere close to its budget because dystopian fiction and dystopian franchises, whether that be film or TV, were kind of dead at that point. Because if you guys think about it, the first Divergent film came out in 2014. In 2014. And then, uh, and then the second film, Insurgent, came out in 2015. And then the third film, Allegiant, came out in 2016. Dystopian fiction, it was kind of dead at that point because the last Hunger Games movie, Mockingjay Part 2, had come out the previous November. It had come out in November of 2015, and it did not gross nearly as much as the other films in the Hunger Games franchise did. It was the lowest grossing film in the franchise. Same thing with the Allegiant movie. Allegiant did not full. Uh, Legion did not perform nearly as well as the first two films, and Lionsgate was like, you know what? Because because if you guys didn't know, they were gonna split the Allegiant book into two films. So we had Allegiant, and then we were going to have Ascendant, which was going to be the final film of the Diversion franchise. We never got that Ascendant movie. Um, for reasons we will never know. Um, basically, after the the travesty that was the box office bomb that was Allegiant, they decided to um, Lionsgate, the distributing company. They decided to make the ascend the Ascendant film. They 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 decided to make the Ascendant film. A movie for TV, so basically a TV movie that was supposed to premiere on the Stars Network, and the cast was not interested at all. The cast was not interested at all. Shailene Woodley was not interested. Theo James was not interested. No one was interested. Um, because they had agreed to when they had first, you know. Um, signed on to be on the films, they they specifically um, signed on to be on big screen, like uh, on big screen movie theater screens. That they don't want to finish off a franchise with a TV movie, so they all said no. And apparently, they were then. The, uh, the creators of the Divergent films, they were going to scrap the TV movie completely and they were going to make a Divergent TV show that were going to follow different characters and unfortunately that was cancelled too. So yeah, when you don't plan out your movie franchise as well, or when it's not an original idea, like The Hunger Games is a very original idea, Divergence also a very original idea, but I feel like the Diver- I feel like the Divergent films, they just took, like, everything that made The Hunger Games so good, and then they just, like, put it on this other franchise of films, and they were probably, like, the people that love The Hunger Games, um, maybe they'll like this film franchise too and we all like the first Divergent film the other two 
were really not that good. And that's why they decided to cancel the fourth film, the, the fourth and final film, and they said they were gonna put it as a TV movie. That didn't go through the cut because the cast was not interested, and they were gonna make it into a TV show with other characters, and that was scrapped. And they basically haven't said anything about Divergent since. So at this point, the Divergent series is basically dead. I feel like us Divergent fans, we all just remember it as that franchise that was kind of like the Hunger Games, but it just, you know, it didn't, it didn't go well. I was gonna say Divergent's like the Divergent, it's like a nightmare, and then the Hunger Games is like a really good dream. So that's what happened with the Divergent film franchise. So when we come back, we're gonna be talking about casting. Um, where we're going to be talking about um, different actors who were considered for both the Hunger Games movies and for the Divergent movies. So don't go anywhere because um, it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about casting for both the Hunger Games and for Divergent. So enjoy this break guys and we'll be right back in a minute. Hello everyone, welcome back to The Hour is Booked, I'm your host Will, and I do this radio show for Hawk Radio and Anchor.fm for HTC. Now if you guys are new to this radio show and you guys have no idea what this radio show is about, I will give you a little rundown about what my radio show The Hour is Booked is all about. Basically, if you guys don't know, my radio show The Hour is Booked is all about book media, booked movie adaptations, booked TV show adaptations, author drama, and so much more. So if you guys like what you hear for this week's episode and you guys want to listen to my past episodes, you guys can do that. Or if you guys don't want to listen to my past episodes and you guys just want to listen to this week's episode, you guys can also stay tuned for my future episodes if you guys want to. We have a lot of fun on this show and it's a lot of fun to talk about book media. So without further ado, let's get into our next topic for today's episode. So our next topic for today's episode is we're going to be talking about two book-to-movie adaptation franchises and the casting process that and the we're going to be talking about the casting process and the actors that they considered and the actresses that they considered for both the Hunger Games film series and for both the Divergent film series. So we're going to be talking about the actors and actresses that were considered for the Hunger Games films and for the Divergent films as well. So if you guys don't know how casting works or how production works for a movie studio, I'll give you a little rundown. Basically, a director has to be hired first, it has to be pitched to a studio, and basically a script has to be written, and then after the script is written, basically the casting process happens. So for some book-to-movie adaptations and and for some movies in general, sometimes they go they, they go away from the book and sometimes they are right on point with the book. For the casting for the Hunger Games, I think Jennifer Lawrence, Josh Hutcherson, and Liam Hemsworth as the three main characters are very well casted. They look the part, they fit the description of the books, and overall they just have some star power to them. Now, before these three main actors were casted, um, there were a lot of people who were unknown at the time. There were a lot of people that were unknown at the time, but they have gone on to have successful careers, even though they were not cast in the Hunger Games movies. So, before Jennifer Lawrence was casted, a lot of actresses were considered. Mainly Haley Steinfeld, which is a very interesting choice, and Abigail Breslin was also considered, and Chloe Grace Moretz and Kaya Scordalerno were all considered for the role of Katniss for the Hunger Games films. Now, in an alternate reality, I could see any one of these actresses taking the part of Jennifer Lawrence's character. I can mostly see Kaya Scordalerno 
who is going to be in the upcoming Resident Evil reboot film, scheduled to come out in September of 2021, but she is also the main female star in the Maze Runner series. So she also... So, 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 so... So, so a few years after the Hunger Games came out, she got her big break as the main female star for the Maze Runner film. So, good job for Kaya Scordelaire now. But for Haley Steinfeld, I can also see her being in an alternate version of Katniss. I could just see it, but she was obviously like very young at the time. But she's now going to be Kate Bishop, also known as the new Hawkeye in the Hawkeye Disney Plus show that is going to be set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, also scheduled to come out in fall of 2021. So that's very exciting. And yeah. But also for the two main male actors, which with um with Josh with 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 Josh Hutcherson. Um, he was basically like the frontrunner to be considered for the role of Beta, but he was also in a cast full of people that wanted the role. Mainly Evan Peters wanted the role. Evan Peters and um, um, Alexander Ludwig, um, who ended up playing the the character of Cato in the first film, who was like the villain of the first film. And they both auditioned, um, but ultimately they went with Josh Hutcherson, and for um, Liam Hemsworth, who plays the role of Gale, they were thinking of casting David Henry, who's from Wizards of Waverly Place, and they were also thinking of casting Drew Roy and Robbie Amell. But they have gone on to have successful careers, even though they didn't get cast in the Hunger Games. So... I think what's interesting about like these casting decisions that they were considering to make were that were that they were very interesting casting choices, but I think they wanted to go with like very attractive, very like star making actors who were already in the process of working in Hollywood. And they didn't really want to go with actors who were unknown at the time, but now I wish that Lionsgate had casted some of those actors that they had considered, because now they're very successful. But we're going to move on from the Hunger Games films, and we're going to move on to the Divergent films now. Now for the Divergent films, um, not a lot was done with the main actress Shailene Woodley. They had they had announced that she was casted in the main role of Tris Pryor, and no one else was really considered. So Shailene Woodley was ultimately casted in the main female role for Divergent, but for the role of Four, also known as Tobias Eaton, ultimately Theo James got that role. Um, I don't know why. I would have casted any other actor that they had considered. They had considered actors like Alexander Ludwig again, they had considered Alex Petterfer, they had considered Lucas Till, and they had also considered Luke Bracey and Bretton Thwaites. Now, on these five other casting decisions that they had considered, I would have chosen any other one of these actors strictly because strictly because Theo James um when he auditioned he in the book his character four is supposed to be 18 years old and when he auditioned and he ultimately got the role he was 29 years old so I I but but for me I but, but for me, I think that's just like a personal thing. I want my actors to be portrayed by actual, like, but like actual people who are close to the ages of the characters in the books. So Shailene Woodley was about 22 at the time she was casted, and she was 24 by the time the film was released. But when um, Theo James was casted in the film, and they had filmed the and they had filmed the movie and everything. He was 28 or 29, and then when the movie was released, 
2014, he was going to turn 30 years old later that year. So, I would have decided to go with Alexander Ludwig personally, um, because I've seen him in so many, I've seen him in so many movies, um, and he's a very good actor, and I think he would have done a very good job. And, uh, ultimately, they didn't go with any of the other casting that they had considered, um, but overall, that's how, um, that's basically how the Hunger Games films and the Diversion films went on their casting choices for casting the actors and the actresses. So when we come back from this little break, we are going to be talking about a book to movie adaptation that I just recently rewatched for a second time called *The Spectacular Now*, and I just wanted to ch- and, and I just wanted to chat about it. So when we get back from this break, we're going to be talking about my thoughts on the book to movie adaptation *The Spectacular Now*. So enjoy the break, guys. See you guys in a minute. Book to TV show adaptations, author drama, and so much more. So, if you guys like what you hear for this week's episode, or if you guys want to listen to my past episodes, you guys can go and listen to my past episodes. Or if you guys don't want to listen to my past episodes, you guys can listen to this week's episode. And you guys can also stay tuned for future episodes coming in the following weeks. We have a lot of fun on the show, it's a lot of fun to talk about book and media and book to movie adaptations. So, yeah. Without further ado, we're going to be talking about our next topic for today. We're going to be talking about my thoughts on the book to movie adaptation, The Spectacular Now, based on the novel The Same Name by Tim Thorpe. Now, if you guys don't know what The Spectacular Now is all about, it is a coming-of-age teen romance drama film that was released in August of 2013, starring Miles Teller and Shane Woodley, who were both in the very unsuccessful Divergent film series based on the novels by Veronica Roth. So, but this film takes place a year before, but before they were both casted in the Divergent movies. Um, so, so, so yeah, this film takes place a year before they were cast in the Divergent films. So, yeah, but the spectacular now is basically about a high school senior and he is a big slacker he's a big partier he doesn't really take anything seriously until he meets a very sheltered girl who's seen as the good girl and she gets good grades and everything and she always follows the rules but she basically enters his life and they develop a romance from there and um overall she changes him he changes her um and typical cliche romantic tropes like that so my thoughts about this film i just rewatched it for the second time um i just rewatched it for the second time a few weeks ago and i just want to share my thoughts about it um this film um i would say I would say that this film is a very accurate representation of teenagers. Um, it is it is a very accurate representation of teenagers falling in love for the first time, I guess you could say. It's very accurate in the way that it's portrayed, um, because um, some teenagers, like the main male character, um, played by Miles Teller. He's a very outgoing personality. He really likes to socialize and party and everything. He likes to hang out with a lot of people. But then the female main character, played by Shane Woodley, she's a very 
um, follow the rules, good girl kind of, kind of, um, stereotype, I guess you could say. I think that this film really, really portrays, um, teenagers in a very realistic sense, and it portrays them very accurately, um, because throughout the film, he, um, Miles Teller's character, he basically shows Shaylene Woodley's character basically how to live in the moment because that's um, Miles Teller, his character in the movie. That's his, that that's basically the, um, the the whole philosophy that he goes by. He goes by live in the moment, live in the now, basically don't, don't worry about the past or anything. He's very much like a live in the moment type of guy, but. Shane and Willie's character comes into his life, and they both change each other in very different ways. Um, she, 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 she basically changes him into someone who can be more sensitive and be more open with people, and he changes her by basically showing her his, basically how he lives his life. He teaches her how to drink her first alcoholic beverage. He teaches her. Um, how to be more open and flirtatious with boys when they're trying to flirt with her, but she doesn't know it. He teaches her how to stand up to her parents who are very neglective of her. So they, they both teach each other a lot of different things in this movie. And overall, the movie is also a very short movie. It's about an hour and 30 minutes, the movie. It's roughly like an hour and 30 minutes, but overall, in that hour and 30 minutes, the movie really reflects on the whole teenage experience, because they're also in their senior year of high school, um, um, Miles Teller's character, he really doesn't feel like graduating, he doesn't feel like applying to college or anything, but Jamie Willie's character has been accepted into the University of Pennsylvania, and she is kind of going to be moving on with her life but he is still stuck in his ways basically but overall by like the start of the movie um they're you know that they're both kind of like down on their luck but then they find each other and they form a romantic relationship from that um they start to be more open with each other and honest with each other and then basically by the end of the movie um, they both kind of go their separate ways so that they can change and evolve and become better people separately and then they kind of the movie ends in a very weird way it ends in this way where it's like a very open ending they end it in a way where miles teller's character goes to visit shane woodley's character at college and they both just look at each other and they both smile at each other and they don't say anything to each other all they do is smile and look at each other and then the credits start to roll at the end of the movie so it kind of ends it in a way though the movie kind of ends it in a way where they could get back together um or they might not but they could see by their appearances how they have changed separately and maybe they can finally be a real couple um, it's a very interesting movie, um, it really delves into the philosophy of living in the moment, I think. The performances are really good, um, I don't know if this would have been eligible for, like, an Academy Award nomination or not, but personally, I think that both Miles Teller and Shane Lee Woodley give, like, Academy Award-worthy, like, performances that they both should have been nominated for Academy Awards. The movie should have been nominated for Best Original Screenplay, at least, and, and even for Best Picture. Um, the movie is really well done. It's very nicely directed. Um, the performances are excellent. Um, and overall, it's it's a very good movie. But it came out in 2013, and um, a lot of films came out in 2013. Um, a lot of Marvel movies came out in 2013, like Iron Man 3, and, um, and a lot of other movies came out in 2013, but mostly Iron Man 3 came out in 2013, and, um, obviously Thor The Dark World came out in 2013, 
So when all of these other movies were coming out in 2013, no one really paid attention to the spectacular now, I feel like. I feel like the movie is very underrated. I feel like a lot of people should watch it. It's a very good movie. And if you guys actually want to watch it, it is available on Hulu. It is currently available on Hulu. And I will probably rewatch it very soon. It's a very good movie. It's a very deep movie. Um and it's very underrated. But once again, the performances are really good. The directing is really good. The script is very nicely written. Everything is good about that movie. So overall, my thoughts on The Spectacular Now are basically that it's a very good movie, it's a very underrated movie, and people should watch the movie because it is so good. It's such, it's, it's, um, it's such a good movie. It, it's such a good movie. The, the Spectacular Now is definitely a favorite movie of mine, and yeah. So, when we come back from this little break, we are going to be talking about some new book releases that are coming out, hopefully, in 2021, if they don't get pushed back to 2022. So, stay tuned, you guys, because we are going to be talking about some new book releases that are coming out in 2021, hopefully. So... Stay tuned after this break for our last segment for today, so enjoy the break, guys. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Hours Booked. I'm your host, Will, and I do this radio show for Hot Radio on Anchor.fm for HCC. Now, if you guys are new here to this radio show, or if you guys are returning members to this radio show, or you have no idea what my radio show, The Hours Booked, is all about, let me give you guys a little rundown about what my radio show, The Hours Booked, is all about. Basically, my radio show, The Hours Booked, is all about book media, book to movie annotations, book to TV show annotations, author drama, and so much more. So, if you guys like what you hear for this week's episode, and you guys want to hear more of my radio show, The Hours Booked, you guys can listen to some of my past episodes where you guys can listen to the rest of this episode and you guys can stay tuned for the future episodes in the coming weeks so yeah it's a lot of fun to talk about book media and book media annotations and stuff like that so if you guys like what you hear stay tuned for the coming weeks to listen to more of my radio show the hours booked so we are on our last segment for today it's our final segment and we're going to be talking about upcoming book book where we're going to be talking about upcoming book releases of 2021 hopefully they don't get pushed back to 2022 because of covid 19. um yeah unlike um because you know movies are being pushed back as covid 19 so maybe books won't be pushed back so yeah without further ado let's talk about some book releases that are going to be hopefully coming coming out that, that are hopefully going to be coming out in 2021 so the first release that i'm going to be talking about is called concrete rose by Andy thomas now if you guys don't know who angie thomas is Angie Thomas is basically the number one New York Times bestselling author of the young adult novel The Hate You Give, which is basically about the Black Lives Matter movement, basically. And she also wrote another novel that was also a number one New York Times bestselling novel called On the Come Up, which is about a young teen rapper. So you got The Hate You Give and On the Come Up. And she has a new novel coming out called Concrete Rose, and I believe it's already been released. I think it was released in January of 2021. So this novel takes place a few years before The Hate You Give, and, 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 um, and Concrete Rose basically takes place a few years before The Hate You Give, and it follows the main character of the hate it follows her father and his experience of him being a african-american teenager in a more modern day 
setting, I guess you could say, and it follows his day-to-day life with how he deals with being an African-American in a more modernized society, basically. So that's the first novel that I'm going to be talking about. Now, the second novel that I'm going to be talking about has also already been released, and it is A Court of Silver Flames by Sarah J. Mass. We all know what this is. This is the fourth book, but it's also the spin-off sequel series to her A Court of Thorns and Roses trilogy, which is basically a retelling of Beauty and the Beast and Hades and Persephone and Snow White. It basically um, entangles a lot of... It, it basically entangles a lot of fairy tale retellings, there's a lot of romance, there's a lot of action, and there is a really good story in that book series. So if you guys haven't read that book series, I highly recommend A Court of Thorns and Roses. It is very good. So, A Court of Silver Flames is the fourth book, but it's also the first book in the spinoff series, which follows the main character's older sister and how she deals with the events following the ending of the first half of the series. So, yeah, it's going to be dealing with her side of the story, and it's going to be dealing with how she processes all of her lingering feelings towards the war ending, and basically it's gonna detail all of her feelings from when the war is over and how she feels after the war is ended to what she's going to do with her future, basically. So, yeah, so that is going to be the first book in another trilogy following different characters from the Accordons and Roses series. So that first book, of course, Silver Flames, is going to be following the main character's older sister. So yeah, that's super cool. And yeah, so we're going to be talking about one more book for today. We are going to be talking about the third and final book in the Children of Blood and Bone series by Tomi Adeyemi. Um, Children of Blood and Bone is a West African-inspired fantasy story that follows a young teenage peasant orphan, I guess you could say, and how she teams up with a princess to basically bring magic back to her to basically bring magic back to her kingdom, while the crown prince, who is the princess's older brother, is hunting them down. And yeah, that's basically what the first novel is about. This novel was a huge success back in 2018. It was at number one on the New York Times bestsellers list the week it debuted, and Tomi Adeyemi, um, she wrote a very good first novel, it was a very big novel, it has been optioned for a film, and Disney and Lucasfilm, who who make the Star Wars films, they are going to be making the Children of Blood and Bone film, which is scheduled to be released in, I believe, 2022. So we're going to be getting that book-to-movie adaptation super soon, and yeah, that is super exciting for people who have read the Children of Blood and Bone book. You guys are going to get a movie within like the next year, so that's cool. And she came out with the second book, Children of Virtue and Vengeance, in December of 2019, and it took her a long time to write this novel because she was suffering from writer's block, and she just didn't know what to do with the story. Originally, the second novel was supposed to be like 600 or 700 pages, but it was sadly cut down to only 400 pages, and the second book wasn't that good. So hopefully that this third book, which is currently untitled, and it doesn't have a release date, but Tomi Adeyemi has said that it is going to come out in 2021, but it has no title, it doesn't have a cover, it doesn't even have a release date, but she says it's coming out in 2021. So, what can we expect with this third novel? I hope that with this third novel, 
she really has improved on her writing style, and I really hope that this third and final book is, like, huge. I hope it's, like, 800 pages. It probably won't be 800 pages, but readers can only hope that it will be 800 pages. The first book was, like, 530 pages. The second book was originally, like, six or 700 pages, but it was cut down to 400 pages, sadly. So hopefully that this third book will, first of all, be a very big book. Hopefully it ties everything up very nicely. Hopefully there are no loose ends. Hopefully we are not left with an open ending. But I feel like with the world that Tony Naomi has created, I don't think this is going to be the final book in this world per se. I feel like she'll be done with this trilogy. But I feel like this world is so big and it's so expansive and it's so magical that she'll definitely write more books in this world, I think. I think she'll definitely write more books in this world for sure. And yeah, that's all we can hope for, that she'll write more books in this world. Because she has really captured our attention with these first two books. So hopefully... The third book in the Church of Blood and Bone series is really good. We, we, we can all hope that it'll be good. So, Tomi Aniyami better give us a really good final book in that trilogy. So, yeah. So, those are some upcoming book... Uh, so, so, yeah. So, so, yeah. Th those are basically some upcoming book releases for 2021. So, yeah, so I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. Um, we will be back next week with a new episode. And, yeah, I, so, 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 yeah, like I said before, I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. Uh, so, so, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. And we will see you for next week's episode. So, um... Yeah, it's been fun, guys. It's been fun. So I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. We'll, we will be back. So, so yeah. So yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. We will be back for next week's episode. And yeah. So, um, bye, guys.